I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from the Mullion Haw Show on 6-7 The Score. Dan Weeder is from the Chicago Tribune. And we are here after the Chiefs beat the 49ers to win Super Bowl 58, 25-22. Overtime, game came down to the last play in the extra session. A perfect way to end the NFL season. No games until July. Maybe the Bears will be the next game scheduled on the NFL calendar as part of the Hall of Fame game, as Dan predicted. Dan Super Bowl, I think, started slow, finished strong. Chiefs dynasty, Patrick Mahomes, can't say much more than that. Yeah, I was the only one on this podcast to pick the 49ers, and one of the few people nationally, I feel like, that was picking San Francisco. And and I, I told you how risky it was to pick against Patrick Mahomes, and I was feeling really good about myself. And then what happens? Patrick Mahomes is inevitable, you know, and he gets the last possession of the season. And when you put the ball in the hands of the best player in the sport, on the last possession of the season, we know what usually happens. I remember during the the pre-draft process of 2017, ironically um, doing a story on Deshaun Watson as the bears were doing their, their quarterback homework and someone that had worked very closely. I think it might've been Jordan Palmer that was working closely with Deshaun Watson during the pre-draft process brought up that year's Super Bowl, which was Tom Brady with the ball in his hands in the last possession of the season leading (laughs) a a, a scoring drive to win it all. And that's what happens when you have an all-time great. Right. And that's what that Super Bowl was. It was, as you mentioned, for for most of three quarters, low on entertainment. And then we had a really compelling fourth quarter in overtime that ended with Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes things and collecting his third Lombardi trophy. Yeah, I just think it hurts probably more in Chicago, but there are nine other teams 
that uh, passed on Mahomes before he went 10th or eight other teams. And I think that make it 10 because the Buffalo bills are the team that traded that pick to the chiefs and now, are now annually getting their butts kicked off the side door of the playoffs by the chiefs. Yeah. I, I don't think you're going to complain if Josh Allen is your quarterback, but I think that's a point well taken. You look at the other teams around the league and they have some sense of regret watching Mahomes do what he's done. And it just, you know, the symmetry all, happened in Kansas City it might not have been that way in Chicago or elsewhere or or in Houston or whatever the case may be but you pair Reed with Mahomes and Mahomes with Reed and then you know they traded Tyree Kill and have won back-to-back Super Bowl titles so when we talk about you know this is you know a take the north podcast it's about the Bears uh, through the Bears prism and I think right. you're trying to strain through that Bears prism and see you know, as I referred to it uh, on the Mullane Haw show on Monday morning, kind of microscopic evidence that there is some sort of, you know, uh, uh, something to be taken away from this. It's that when you have an elite quarterback, it outweighs everything else. And you can win the championship with a very strong defense and an elite quarterback that outweighs everything else. So the 49ers, more talented uh, roster, better depth, better weapons, and ultimately – didn't matter because Patrick yeah. Mahomes did what great players do. He carried the Chiefs and willed them to a victory. So two things I would say to that. I was asked on the Bernstein and Holmes show on Monday afternoon what was most impressive to me about who the Chiefs are. And I just said that it's the belief that that Patrick Mahomes imparts in the entire organization. You know, you can feel it when you're watching the game. You're down three points in overtime and you're taking over the ball and the entire world knows you're going to go win the football game. You know what I mean? Like that, that there's that supreme confidence that you can tell that Patrick Mahomes, 10 teammates on the field feel his coaching staff on the sidelines field, the owners up in the owner's box feel. And that belief is so, so valuable to the, the critical stages of critical games that lead you to the promised land. Like the chiefs have now experienced three times once while Ryan Poles was part of their front office and twice since he's left. And so he's got to understand that. And I think he does because he's experienced that as we've talked about before. I also reflect back a month when we were sitting at house hall, listening to the bears end of season press conference and Kevin Warren bringing up that Rams team that he was a part of many years ago and talking at length again about how many things had to go right for that team to just be in a position to win the Super Bowl by one yard on the final play of the Super Bowl. And I, I think this game on Sunday, David, was a reminder of just how many things need to go right to even dream about holding that trophy up. And you think about the teams that the Chiefs dispatched here over the last month that had terrific seasons, the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills, <laughs> the Baltimore Ravens, the San Francisco 49ers. All those teams entered the postseason with reasonable belief that they could be the last team standing and they all fell through a trap door when they ran into the chiefs. And, and, and if you need any more reminder of how painful it must be to get to the doorstep of that, there's Kyle Shanahan for you right now. He becomes the first coach in, in history to lose two super bowls in overtime. And those two super bowls were lost in overtime to Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, right? Is it, it the, the heartbreak that, that Kyle Shanahan feels, you know, obviously he was a coordinator with the Falcons uh, and then he lost the two super right. To, to Mahomes in the Chiefs 49ers games. But think of that, the anguish that that guy must feel, never having reached the mountaintop and understanding how many things he did well and how good his teams were. And then you run into an all-time great, and it doesn't matter. Well, he's been the head coach twice, twice. now twice. of teams that lost to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs after 
being in front by, by 10, 10 or more. Yeah. You know, th- that's heck of a, that's one heck of a legacy. I know he's 44. Uh, and I know that he's got a lot of football left to coach and his dad said the right things about, you know, getting back to work. And this is the way, this is the way it, it is and coaching and all those things are true, but boy, you know, Kyle Shanahan, there he is again, answering questions that no coach wants to answer and also becoming well-known as the best coach who never won a Super Bowl. And right. that's not that, – that was Andy Reid for a long time. Yeah, I was going to say, it was, it's, it's the guy who stood across the sideline from him who four years ago just won his first one. And you think about Mike Shanahan's first Super Bowl win with John Elway as his quarterback. Think right. of John, the, 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 the agony that those Broncos teams with Elways had to go through. And John Elway was forever known as the guy who couldn't get it done on the final Sunday of the season. And then he did it twice. And so you have to cling to those um, beacons of hope. But as we talked about on this – podcast many many times there's no promises ever that you're going to be back in that position anytime soon and the hard work that it takes to get there is monumental and it's massive uh and and it's just i I think it's a lesson for the people up at 1920 football drive that the idea of settling in any way shape or form in any position in any way that you go about this sport is it's not acceptable because in order to be the last team on the stage with roger goodell and a silver uh shiny trophy you've got to do everything right all the time. Crazy question, but do you think that given the choice, heart of hearts, honest answer from Ryan Poles, would you take over the Chicago Bears and run your own organization as a general manager for two years, or would you stay in your old job with the Kansas City Chiefs and be a front office component <laughs> for an organization that has back-to-back Super Bowl champions? Uh, championships. I I would love to know what his honest answer would be because you can't you can't help but almost feel a little empathy. He did leave and he's got a great job. I'm not I, I'm not diminishing anything that he's done and accomplished, but I think at one point in time he had to have looked on last night as he might have looked on last year and said, "Hmm, what exactly did I do here?" Well, look, I love the question and I love the scenario because it takes me back to the first longer story I did with Ryan when he became the general manager. And I led that story with Ryan on top of a double-decker bus in, in downtown Kansas City being part of that first Super Bowl parade. And for him, it was that vision of trying to do it in a new place with his, you know, his own challenge to be the architect of one of those things. And it's a great question you ask here, David, because now you're – you know at the, the the front end of a, a landmark off season, you know, and you've made your decisions on the coaching staff and you've got that squared away. And now comes the biggest question of all, what are you going to do at the quarterback position? And can you find one of these guys that can be the catalyst that takes you to that level? And I think the, the passion and the, um, allure of, of trying to find that is just so absolutely energizing and invigorating that I think Ryan is, is eager for this. Now, if six or seven years go by and the bears haven't gotten anywhere near that stage and they haven't been in the playoffs and they haven't been anywhere near the super bowl, then maybe we ask that question again and say, yeah, there's probably some regret. But I think in this moment, I think all it does is energize and motivate him to experience that here in a city that he knows. I mean, think about it, David, you know, as well as anyone, if that gets done here, yeah, forget, forget it. You're in. A, you, there's a statue of you. Somewhere. You don't have to win three in five years and call yourself a dynasty. Win you win one for thirty years and you're a legend. Yeah. So yeah. for you, you look at what we're talking about now. We still, you know, add Gary Fensick as a guest on the morning show, and so guys who win in Chicago are forever revered. 
by the same token, I wondered this, and this is to a lesser degree because, you know, Matt Nagy did not have the choice to leave Chicago. He was fired. He, he landed in yeah. Kansas City. He fell upward. And now, you know, I wonder how he would answer that question. Matt, you could, for the last couple of years, kept your job and, and, you know, had middling success with the Bears as a head coach. Or you could go to Kansas City and be the uh, offensive coordinator and help call plays for the best quarterback alive uh, and active right now. What would you do if we were going to tell you one back-to-back Super Bowls? <laughs> Um, might be a different answer. Probably different answer. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I I, I think I think Matt probably has a a great ability to sleep at night now, and I'm sure he has things that he he will forever kick himself over from his time coaching the Bears up in Lake Forest. But to go back and immediately win two Super Bowls and be part of that, and to connect with with Andy and Patrick and you know Kelsey and that group and have the, the chance to be some part of something legendary it's gonna it's gonna give him an opportunity in my opinion to eventually get himself back in the mix when he feels it's the right time to to try again and and whether he gets another chance we'll see you know uh you keep stacking up these 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 accomplishments and these yeah. achievements somebody's gonna talk to you he's, he's represented by Trace Armstrong, who's been very influential at getting his clients job opportunities and being able to keep them in those opportunities. So, um, you know, we'll see. But that's, that's certainly another another subplot to all. It is interesting because we talk all throughout the offseason. We just went through a coaching cycle and every candidate, it seemed, had some sort of link to either Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. And when you look at their coaching trees, if you will, they have a lot of branches and they extend to a lot of different cities and organizations. Andy Reeves does too, and he's been around longer, but you don't see Nagy as a candidate. You don't see Eric Bieniemy being asked to interview any longer. You don't see Spagnolo because of maybe his age, but you don't see the Andy Reed effect as prevalent in these coaching searches and cycles as you do the younger guys who, you know, basically – He's beating now. Yeah. And so he's won three Super Bowls in five years and, and beating teams and, and getting to the point where, you know, his coaches aren't getting the same kinds of looks. Yeah. And it'll be interesting. Once upon a time, the, the Reed tree was one that, that people were in love with, you know, yeah. and, and, and then there, there's varying degrees of success. And then the new trend takes over. And right now, that's where it's going. I had a couple game related questions that I wanted to pick your brain on. The first one being the play that the 49ers ran before settling for their overtime field goal. I've watched it like nine times. And I feel like it's one of those ones that if you're a 49ers fan or a 49ers coach, you're going to kick yourself for months watching because Chris Jones basically comes unblocked. And when you rewatch it, I don't know if this was the design of the play, but it looked like it was set up to be uh, maybe a quick swing to George Kittle with, with plenty of room forward to go and put in the touchdown that could have changed the Super Bowl. And somehow Chris Jones is, unaccounted for the one guy that you know you have to account for up front on that that Chiefs defensive line I don't know if you took note of anything on that last possession but clearly when you take the ball first and you know that you've got to maximize every little thing here so that you can put the pressure on the Chiefs that moment when you're on the doorstep of of potentially doing that is, is potentially haunting I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, it is. I I was surprised that they took the ball to begin with at all. I mean, that's where I would start. Yeah. I I think we've gone back and forth on that. Um, People will continue to. I think that's going to be one of those decisions that does not age well for Kyle Shanahan. The metrics may show one thing. It's a very small sample size when you look at the new overtime rules and what to do and why you do it. But, Dan, I think that decision, the Chris Jones observation is a good one. I think it all started for me when you looked at Kyle Shanahan when they won Mm -hmm. the coin toss, they took the ball. Yeah, and, and, and look, and I, I said there were two th- defenses that, that you could pitch to me that I would at least listen to. The first one is, okay, we needed to get our defense some rest after being on the field at the end of regulation. I don't subscribe to that one. I, I, you can bring it to me, but I don't subscribe to it. The other one is that if you match the Chiefs on the first two possessions of overtime, now it's a sudden death format, and you're going to be the team to have the ball first in sudden death. You know, So if you get cha- exchange field goals or exchange touchdowns or exchange punts, now you're getting the ball, and the next time someone scores – that's in your hands, but that's too far down the road, right. you know, and you can't do that in these season on the line moments is, is be thinking three possessions down the road. You got to be thinking of the very next possession and figuring out what the best possible scenario for your team is. Because obviously if you knew the chiefs were going to score a touchdown on their drive, when you're down there, inside the red zone and it's fourth and whatever it was, fourth and four, fourth and five, you're going for it. You're clearly going for it. And maybe it's a different ball game. So that I do think you're right that they're going to kick themselves over, over that. I also thought for me personally, the, the, the sequence where I felt like the game got away from the 49ers and the control was early in the second half where you got the interception of Mahomes on the first possession after halftime in plus territory. And it's 10 to three and you've got a chance to pad that lead and you go three and out. Okay. I'll live with the three and out because you still punt the ball down and you down it at the one and you force the, the the Chiefs to punt right back to you. Okay, now you can play that complimentary football and try and score and keep the game in your control. And they went three and out again. And on those six plays, Christian McCaffrey never took a handoff. And, and that was one of those ones where it's like if you're looking back and you're thinking, man, like you just needed to squeeze something out of those possessions and you got nothing and you never let the best you know non-quarterback offensive player in the league touch the football – now you got to really spend some nights thinking about that. I brought that up on Monday morning with Larry Kruger from 95.7, uh, the game in San Francisco, because that really bothered me too. And his uh, post-game explanation from Shanahan was uh, rooted in the, the fact that basically, yeah, McCaffrey had 30 touches. He did. So I guess that is you know a, a commitment to getting him the football. I just feel like the game at that point where you just cited, it was there – where you could have built on the lead and maybe put some distance between, 
you know, you and Mahomes. So those the miraculous comeback couldn't happen. So you didn't, you know, there's a difference between 10 and 14 points and, yeah. and what kind of cushion you're building. So I thought that was a huge, huge um, moment. Uh, and I think they neglected the best offensive player in football. And it don't understand it. Even the smartest coaches and play callers have moments of like that that, that represent lapses in judgment, and they're really hard to understand. It's going to leave a mark because Kyle Shanahan, you know, did not have a good second half. No, and 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 look, and they're still they're still right there with a chance to win the Super Bowl, and you, you right there is just not enough, and, and right there leaves scars, and right there and really close is the type of things that nightmares are made of, and so uh, good luck, you know, in San Francisco dealing with those again and trying to to make your way through this, and then obviously as you talk about seeing this through through the Bears prism, it's like okay, you know, like you, you want to play football with the big boys, you better have. Some people on your side that are big boys, big time, clutch playmakers that 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 can carry you to those levels. And so now it's it's the opportunity to go uh, possibly unite with one. Anything else on the game before we get on to the first day of the NFL offseason? No, I mean, fun game. You, the, the last play being called Tom and Jerry is so quintessentially Andy Reid, <laughs> you know, cute name, similar design to Corndog last year. And they get McCall Hardman out there in the flat and the 49ers had no chance. And then the, 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 the football game ends, I guess Mahomes is, uh, last two scores, the field goal at the end of regulation came with three seconds left. Uh, the, the touchdown in overtime came with three seconds left in the first overtime period. And I think it was a three yard touchdown pass there. So three, three, three is cashing your jackpot in Las Vegas. McCole Hardman spends most of a season in New York with the jets comes back <laughs> to Kansas city and ends the season uh, I don't want to say Super Bowl hero, but he did catch the winning the winning uh, touchdown in the Super Bowl. So that's a pretty good finish to a season that was pretty lousy for the most part. Uh, I, I think it was also a testament of the way that Mahomes leads as much as he plays well. Yeah, all season long, he was the last guy. You don't, you know, you talk about quarterbacks and you know temperamental and being publicly uh, scrutinized. He never. He never really broke bad on his receivers and Scantling, um, uh, whether it was Hardman or whoever was dropping passes. And he had a lot of drops. He was always believing him, always having public confidence committed to them. And it paid off because Valdez Scantling caught one touchdown. Hardman caught the winning one and Patrick Mahomes faith was rewarded. Yeah. And the grind, you know, I mean, it's not just the Super Bowl. It's the grind where the Chiefs were left for dead, you know, in, in late November, early December, not dead, dead. But nobody thought that they would be the last team standing at that stage. And, and they just kept going, you know, and, and, and here they are again. And now all of a sudden you, you, you think you're lucky stars if you're the Bears that they are in the other conference. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think I think you just those teams that are playing really good football, the Bills being one of them, the Ravens being one of them. Um, you've got your hands full, you know, for years to come, knowing that that team is always going to be uh, in the way. So the combine is a mere two weeks away in Indianapolis. There will be a lot of attention focused on the scrutiny paid Caleb Williams and every other prospect in Indianapolis. The Bears' due diligence, I think, is underway. Dan, what are you hearing? And I think that we'll, uh, I think obviously over the weekend, there were two reports I wanted to get your take on. Number one came from Ian Rappaport. It was basically a summary of the Bears' offseason to this point. Uh, talking about having the number one overall pick. I think it's something that national reporters do on Super Bowl Sunday. You put it on NFL Network and NFL.com. Said the Bears would have to have a historic haul in order to trade the number one pick. 
Um, that basically said to me, they're open for business, but they're going to have to make an, uh, make Brian Poles an offer he can't refuse. And then the more interesting and I think kind of silly one, um, maybe not silly, but hard. It's more implausible. Adam Schefter reported that the Bears have had conversations about keeping the pick, <laughs> taking Justin, uh, taking Caleb Williams and keeping Justin Fields, putting them both in the same locker room, meeting room and depth chart. I don't think that one has a lot of weight. I'm not sure that it makes any sense to me, but those are the two national reports on Super Bowl Sunday for Bears fans to consider. Let me start with the first one first, because if you remember, Ian Rapport was the one who had the report in December about how the Bears would have to be blown away to move off of Justin Fields. And now here we are in the middle of February, and now it's they need to receive a historic haul to move off the number one pick. And so that is consistent with sort of the drumbeat that has continued to amplify around the league that most people assume that the Bears aren't going to find reasons to talk themselves out of Caleb Williams unless they are offered something that blows their mind, you know, and that is a quote unquote historic call that is too good to, to, to pass on. And, and so you have this continuing um, momentum towards the bears using the number one overall pick on Caleb Williams. It brings us to the, the Schefter uh, nugget from, from pregame Sunday, which, you know, I didn't, I didn't entirely roll my eyes on because I do know that it's a discussion that has happened inside the building but i think it's a discussion through the lens of look like we have to discuss everything a healthy organization talks about every single possibility that's there for them and then works through it collectively to come up with a a, a reasonable answer to that in this case david i think that that nugget is um, nothing more than a case of information brokering and it's letting the league know that oh yeah you know we may just keep justin fields here if we if we want to as well and so you better have interest in Justin Fields to a level that you're willing to offer us maybe a little more than you thought you would, because he's not just out on the curb at the garage sale. We may, we may still keep him if, if the offer is not good enough. And that's kind of what I made of that nugget because um, you know, we did a little thing on Chicago's for Tuesday morning, talking about this very premise. And I said, look, like if, if you're realistically entertaining the possibility of pairing a rookie quarterback, presumably chosen at number one or somewhere else in the top five, you're opening up the door to a entire circus. If you keep Justin Fields around, you've got to manage practice opportunity. You've got to manage locker room allegiance. You've got to manage the pressure on those two guys. You got to manage the, the big top that, that is going to come to your facility. If you're having a quarterback competition between a highly touted quarterback and the guy that's on the way that there's just no reasonable way to make that work. It's page one of the handbook of how to ruin a quarterback <laughs> prospect. And the Bears are, you know, that, that handbook is well tattered by now in Chicago at Hallis Hall. They screwed it up with Mitch Trubisky. He was responsible, but he didn't get much help. They certainly contributed to the stagnation of Justin Fields and his inability to develop into the kind of quarterback he possibly could be elsewhere. If you draft Caleb Williams and keep Justin Fields, <laughs> you are doing harm to both of their careers. Right. And you're putting Caleb Williams in a terrible situation, walking into a locker room where he is the second most popular quarterback. And you're going to say, OK, this is the most conducive environment to winning. It's nonsensical to me that they would even consider it. I understand that when you get around a room and you talk about, okay, family, uh, we have, dad's got a new job potentially. <laughs> we have we can live in all sorts of different places: San Francisco, New York, Sioux City. Nothing against these cities. I could I could name a city that's not going to measure up, but you know what I mean. 
you don't pick, you have to discuss all options, but the least plausible one is the one that's easiest to dismiss. So I didn't, I was really surprised Schefter even wrote about this because it seems like that would be such a bad idea, such a terrible direction, and so easy to criticize. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I mean, I, I, I'm entirely with you. And the, the first time I heard the premise um, back in early January, I, I was just like, it's not, it's not workable. You cannot, you can't possibly make that work and i would assume someone in that room is capable of speaking up and saying that in a way that's convincing and and assertive and that, that, that they just move on to the other more likely options again i do think that this is part of the job of um insiders in the nfl is to put the word out there for the people that give them information a lot and this felt like a a, a, a situation where the word is putting being put out there that you know the 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 asking price for Justin Fields may be a little higher than you originally thought. And so go back to your people and figure out what you can get. It's that whole, you know, showroom car, car dealership talk of like, oh, I think I can get you right. that, but let me go talk to my boss first. Right. Yeah. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so there are two little viral things that happened last week. I know how you like to entertain and, and evaluate things that hit the social media as, as much as they uh, become popular. So uh, the first one came from Jackson Smith and Jigba from the Seahawks, and he was sitting being interviewed by Mark Carmen from CHGO. And he was asked about new offensive coordinator Shane Waldron, who coached him in Seattle. And Smith and Jigba paused, and he said something to the effect of, are we live? And it certainly did not speak well to his you know, thoughts and maybe uh, didn't speak well of what he thought of Waldron. I don't know if that's reading too much into it. I wasn't there. I did communicate with Mark Carmen about the context, but um, it didn't seem like he had much to offer. What did you read into that besides uh, getting a good chuckle? Yeah, I certainly got a good chuckle. And my, the, the thing I read into it is that if they're putting out a brochure uh, on Shane Waldron to sell to the, the people of Chicago, it won't include a pull quote from Jackson Smith. And <laughs> you, you know, when Kevin Warren became the president at Alice Hall, we had, you know, two pages worth of uh, endorsements from people that are in his orbit. I don't think Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to vocally endorse Shane Waldron. Uh, rookie year didn't probably uh, go as he had planned in terms of the productivity. And so um, didn't seemed like he was a huge fan of what that offense was in Seattle. I understand that, you know, no offense coordinator is ever going to make, be able to make all of his playmakers happy. That's a truth as old as time. Um, I also do think it, that, that to just like brush it aside and go, Oh, no big deal. Nothing to see here would be naive as well. Because I think as we documented uh, after Shane Waldron was hired, uh, he oversaw an offense in 2023 that was less productive in many of the most important statistical categories in the NFL than the Bears had. And so they rebooted with, with someone that was running an offense that wasn't as good. And so uh, Jackson Smith and Jigbo was part of that, and he was clearly a little bit frustrated. And and he, he spoke about it at the Super Bowl, and I think it was one of those reminders that every word, uh, particularly spoken in Super Bowl week, is subject to instant aggregation, and it's going to get under the microscope really quick. 
I'm just imagining that one sheet, like the handout Shane Waldron with all his credentials and past jobs and the quote from Pete Carroll and the quote from Sean, Sean McVay, McVay and, Kevin and then all Donald. of a sudden Smith and Jigbeth quoted, is this live? Is this live? <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That would be funny. Okay, the second one is a guy that you know and love, uh, or you know well, at least. I don't know about you love, but Brandon Marshall, we both covered him with the Bears. And he had the audacity. It shouldn't be surprising, but this is what I think people say to get noticed, to get on the um, – get aggregated to become viral because it was, he could have just said about Jay Cutler. He was talking about his yeah, buddy. I saw you know, it. And he said, you know, Jay Cutler, former buddy, <laughs> former buddy didn't live up to expectations as much as any quarterback, et cetera, et cetera. Could have been great. And I think a lot of people would have been fine with him stopping there and people nodding in, in agreement. Anybody that looked at Jay Cutler's talent level could see what he was getting to. And then he had the audacity to say, Jay Cutler was the worst quarterback who you ever played with. Jimmy Clausen started the game in 2014. <laughs> Brandon Marshall was on that team. That's just ridiculous. And to give it any oxygen, I feel kind of embarrassed about it, but that's exactly what he wanted. And that's exactly what he's getting because it's so stupid. It's such a dumb thing to say. I did not take the time uh, in my personal life to make the entire list of quarterbacks that Brandon Marshall has played with. But I guarantee you that I could find more than one worse than Jay Cutler. That would be on that list when we look at it. Brandon Marshall, uh, by the way, who never went to the playoffs, correct? He never broke that 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 streak of of never playing in the postseason, did he? True. No, that's, um, nope, that's true. You know, one of the Brandon Marshall stories I tell among the dozen that those of us who had time to be around him can share uh, is about 2014. And if you remember, there was a day on a golf cart in the courtyard at Olivet Nazarene University before lunch when hopes were riding high that Brandon Marshall put out a heartfelt campaign for Jay yeah. Cutler to be the most valuable player in the league. MVP. And, and yep. it was, was just absolutely tooting that bugle as best he could and talking about it. And then you fast forward four months and Brandon Marshall in a hospital with a punctured lung gets released and rather than just let Charles Tillman handle his uh, radio show appearance drives out. I think it was like somewhere out near Elgin after Charles Tillman had already sat in for him for 45 minutes so that he could get in the last word on that conversation to say that Aaron Cromer's comments that, that the bears should have buyer's remorse over extending Jay Cutler was entirely true. You could make a documentary about the relationship between Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall, and you could make it, 14 parts and I would watch every second of it because it would, be, it would be the most fascinating yeah. piece of, of television and entertainment that you could possibly get because you talk about two guys that like for periods really loved each other, two guys who have incredibly different and unique personalities and, 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 and Brandon can't let it go. I'd, I'd be curious if uh, Jay had any retort on Instagram or on Inside the NFL or anywhere else that he uh, has a chance to voice his opinion. These I haven't days. seen it. He's pretty good on Inside the NFL. I'm not, I shouldn't be surprised. He's a Vandy grad, but he is definitely uh, better than I thought he might be. He's a good analyst. I, I don't know that he will respond. If he does, it will be tongue in cheek. I you know, be, you know, yeah, be, yeah, that's yeah, me. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah. I kind of miss those guys a little bit. There's some days where those are fun memories. Um, uh, speaking of uh, things that not necessarily viral, but social media what did you think of the bears twitter treatment of them being on the clock second year in a row that uh 
in the hour after the Super Bowl ended, the Bears made it clear to the rest of the league that they were next in line to uh, make the most important decision to start the next wave of things. And so um, interesting. I mean, a little different. A year ago, there was, you know, the question on, you know, now the offseason begins and, and here we go and we're, we're in charge of it. And this year it was kind of a bunch of TVs just blaring out. What would you do? What would you do? Here's what I and, and it was just a reminder that, you know, we've got a good two and a half months left of speculation and question asking and, and rumor and reporting and everything else that's going to swirl around over what is a fascinating decision that they have to make. Uh, we, we talk about the Caleb Williams situation. That's obviously at the forefront of things. Um, but you look at some of the opportunities that the bears have outside of that number one pick to do a lot of cool things for their football team, to put them in position to be in the playoffs next year. And there's reason uh, much more so than a year ago when it was a, a 14 loss team that had just lost 10 in a row and was clearly lost in the middle of the woods. There's much more reason this time around to get kind of pulled in to the start of the offseason hype and understand that it can be leading towards something. And so a little different reaction for me this year than I had last year. Yeah, they're in a position to where if they wanted to supplement and build the roster up, they could put together a team capable of competing for a playoff spot in 2024. And and then they also in a position where they could probably not be in the best position to compete for a playoff spot in 2024, but theoretically be in a better position to win a Super Bowl in the next five years. That could be, you know, a, a distinction without a difference to some people, but it's a significant distinction if you ask me. And I think that's what it's going to ultimately come down to. But this is the beginning of the offseason, and we have a lot of work to do. They have a lot of work to do, and we have a long way Yeah, to well, and every week I think about what they could possibly do with that number nine pick. You know, and it's fascinating because there's going to be opportunity to, to, to potentially move around or grab someone there. And then, David, if they are able to find uh, multiple suitors and they're able to get the price that they want for Justin Fields, you might – potentially have yourself three first rounders that you're introducing at rookie minicamp in the first week of May. And, and you're going to suddenly think about this class of three first round picks where you go, okay, like this now has the chance to be the springboard toward greater things toward sustainable success. And so um, again, like for justifiable reasons, we're going to spend a ton of time on the number one pick and Caleb Williams and what that means. But man, you talk about the, the, the opportunity to use those two other assets. And oh, by the way, free agency now is just a month away also. And so like the Bears are going to have to start preparing for that very soon too. I can't imagine that Ryan Pace is getting much time at home these days. I'm sorry, Ryan Poles, um, just given the volume of homework he's got to do on all these levels to, to figure out what the best course of action is for this team. It's going to be fun to cover. It's going to be, it's always fun to speculate and we'll be right here for you at the Take the North podcast. little programming uh, note for people in the Chicago area. Uh, Brandon Pope, friend of the show, former uh, or not former Ball State graduate, uh, so a fellow alum, he interviewed Ryan Poles last week on the U, and he's got Kevin Warren coming up on Thursday, uh, an interview at 7 o'clock Chicago time on WCIU. And I think it just would be with everything going on with the Bears, big picture with the stadium and uh, might be worth your time. Brandon does a great job. And so Brandon Pope's interview on WCIU is seven o'clock Thursday night for people in the Chicago viewing area. Also, I did not, I did not realize he was a ball stater like you. That's uh, good to know. And also, really, anytime those two guys give you some of that one on one access, you usually learn something. Kevin I and Ryan are good at sharing. I agree. I mean, there are times where, you you know, different agendas, right? Different audiences. So, you know, 
they're going to sit down and probably not be asked about their draft philosophy with, you know, and what are you looking for in the left tackle and, and how do you build a team with an edge rush? All those things. You learn big picture vision stuff, I think, though. Yeah. And how they handle questions if, if they make, you know, what, the, what they're comfortable talking about and how far they're willing to go. So that's also very interesting. Yeah. Brandon Pope's a, a Ball State grad, chirp, chirp. Um, we're willing to take questions from our audience too. So you listeners can send questions. You can email us, take the North pod at gmail.com. You can Twitter, uh, send us a Twitter direct message at take the North pod or at T R I S L E R studs S T U D Z. That is Adam Studzinski. You can get in touch with us. You, a lot of different ways. You can figure it out on the social media scene. We want to hear your questions. We can get to a mailbag because those sometimes are the best way to get to what you want to talk about, whether it's on uh, the Take the North pod or the YouTube page. We will get to everything. Anything else, Dan? No. I mean, it's incredible that we've made it through the finish line of another Super Bowl. Uh, and, uh, again, it'll be fun one of these years to be a participant rather than a spectator. Uh, might be a long way off. It might not be. So we'll see which direction it goes. But it's uh, certainly from the day we reported to training camp to, to, to today, it's been a, a fun journey, and there's a lot more ahead of us, obviously. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for watching on the 670 Scores YouTube page. It's been a lot of fun, and we have more to do, and we will be back later this week with another episode. For Adam Sudzinski, our producer, and for Dan Weeder, I'm David Haw. We'll talk to you next time. Great talk. See you out there.